0: not in at this time.
1: Welcome to the Tale of the tape. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. Boxing knowledge dropped by Kenny and Vin. It's the sweet science by the diehard fan. Manny and Floyd, Triple G and the rest, like an overhand right from Crusher Kovalev. The tale of the tape on TheBoxingRamp.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. The tale of the tape on TheBoxingRamp.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans, and welcome back to episode one hundred and six of the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, man to my left, Vince Cummings. What up, Ben? What's up, brother? I uh I only pale in the comparison to our to our special guest tonight. <laughs> <laughs> special guest tonight, keeping him up wide awake, um, coming from the United Kingdom. Uh special guest Steve Wellings joins us for episode one oh six of the Tale of the Tape. We'll have him here in just One moment to talk Carl Frampton versus Scott Quigg, but we want to remind all of you out there to subscribe to the Boxing Rant YouTube channel today and drop by theboxingrant.com for all of the links to today's show and every other show of the pound-for-pound king of boxing podcasts. All right, let's go ahead and bring our guest on, uh, hailing from the United Kingdom. (coughs) Author, journalist, and contributor to TheBoxingRant.com, Steve Wellings. What up, Steve?
2: How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on again.
1: Our pleasure, man. Our pleasure. What's the buzz like right now across the pond for Frampton Quig? as we're just a few days away?
2: Yeah, it's a huge buzz. I mean, Belfast's a famous fight city, and everyone's talking about it on the streets, the newspapers, the radio, the television. Everyone's just going on about it. And it's the same over in Manchester as well. A few of the guys are over ahead of me, and they said the atmosphere is really building. There was a bit of a public workout yesterday and plenty of boos and hissing from both sets of supporters. And it's just going to be an amazing atmosphere on the weekend. It really is building. They've done a great
0: job, to be fair, of promoting this fight. I envy what what the boxing scene is over there sometimes because you really don't get hype for a fight like that over here. And, and you know, maybe with, with Mayweather-Pacquiao we had that. But I, I feel like the hype for that fight, there's people just drawing lines in the sand and taking sides. <laughs> and, it, it, I mean... There's vitriol amongst the Quigg fans and the Frampton fans. They want their man to win so bad. I I just I love how this fight has been built. When are you heading over there, Steve?
2: We're going over first thing on Friday morning, so another day of work, and then uh, hopefully – the head down on Thursday night, and then we're going out at 7 o'clock in the morning on Friday morning. We'll be there for the weigh-in, which is always a special event. They've actually, it's ticketed the weigh-in. You have to buy tickets online. So, uh, you know, every, everything's just huge. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the fight,
1: Buzz. Uh, leading up into February 27th, when we have a loaded fight card on, uh, on your side of the pond and on ours as well, um, you know, Frampton Quigg, as far as an evenly matched fight with two big names um, with a lot on the line um you're hearing stuff from from the uk seems to be very heavily in favor of carl frampton over here in the states a lot of the respected boxing journalists steve are uh, are going with scott quigg do you think that has anything to do with a little bit of what have you done for me lately the most recent memory of the fighters
2: yeah i think it's entirely to do with that to be honest um i've heard quite a few opinions from different people Most people have gone for Frampton all along, but a lot of people are starting to swing towards Quigg. And if you see these polls on Twitter or fight polls, I mean, you know, I've been asked to do a few fight polls myself, looking up and down them. Quigg, he's starting to come towards 50-50 now. People do see this as a close fight. But, I mean, there's all sorts of variables, isn't there, about that day in July 18th. I mean, if if you didn't see Frampton struggling against Gonzalez and Quigg on the same night, literally uh, almost at the same time, blasting away Martinez, then most people would say Frampton has the better skills, has the better ring IQ, has all the, the tools. He's going to do the job, no problem. It's just that one fight uh, seems to me has just swayed things back towards Quigg, maybe the way he demolished Kiko. Someone could say then, Kiko Shopper, and he's a guy who's been around a long time. He's had a lot of fights. He, he's took a few beatings. Maybe Quigg got him at a good time. Uh, Frampton made a few excuses after the fight against Gonzalez. There's problems with the ring, problems with the weight. There's so many different factors. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. After um uh, saturday night we'll all be looking back and, and you know thinking it's so obvious about what's going to happen but right now just haven't got a clue i think uh, you know it has a lot to answer for july the 18th and maybe that's pumping up quick a bit maybe it isn't maybe it's going to be the better man we just it's hard to tell
0: we've we've seen a, a little bit here at least i've i've heard a few things about carl possibly possibly struggling with the weight again do you do you have any inside information as to you know is he at a good weight right now, do you know anything?
2: Well, the the stories are going around that he's struggling at the weight. Um, it was never really mentioned as an issue before the last fight. That was the first time we've heard him explicitly come out and say that he was struggling at the weight, we know his trainer Shane bases himself on being a nutrition guy, they have him on all these caveman diets and eating all these special things and he is a fitness guy Shane, I mean he puts himself through the rigorous training camps alongside Carl, he doesn't just stand there watching him do it, he does it himself he's, he, you know, he's in mean shape himself Shane McGuigan, so it was a surprise to hear Carl say that afterwards and then the rumours have been surfacing, but he he was talking yesterday on, on a video, and obviously he would say that the weight seems to be okay. He he seems to be making it all right. and I mean, the obvious thing is he's only a small guy. He, ha- he has a lot to pack into that little compact frame. And if he was eventually to move up to featherweight, I mean, the, the guys up at featherweight aren't getting any smaller. So it, you, you'd imagine he'd struggle with the Lee Selbers and the Nicholas Walters of this world, and his best work would be done at super bantamweight. So at the moment, usual stories, things about both boxers are flying around we don't know what the weight situation is going to be but he insists that he's fine on the weight and I don't think it'll be a factor but I suppose if we see him tiring down the stretch on Saturday night then perhaps it could be a factor
1: yeah you know that uh kind of leads me into this thought that I've been tossing around a little bit about how these guys are going to fare if this thing goes if it, you know if this fight goes deep um from what we hear over here Steve is that you know Scott Quigg has this you know legendary gym rat mentality that he's a really hard worker in the gym. Um, if this thing goes the distance, if it were to go 12, before we get into too much strategy here, do you think <clears throat> that um, that Scott Quigg has the advantage in the championship rounds with his conditioning?
2: He could do. Um, Frampton's no slouch either in that department though it's the same as the punching power people are saying they think Quigg's the puncher but then I would say well I wouldn't write off Frampton being a bit of a puncher himself it's the same with the fitness thing as well Carl did tire a little bit in the Martinez rematch for the, the big world title fight when he won the world title He was things were starting to get a little bit hairy around the ninth and 10th round he was never in any trouble or anything but he was visibly tiring in a tough fight uh, the same in the first fight as well He was having a bit of a tough time through the middle round, so perhaps the gas tank could start to run low, but like I said before, he's at the peak of his powers. He just turned 29 there on on Sunday. I don't think he's going to get any better. I don't think he's going to get any fitter. Um, I mean, he said that he doesn't particularly enjoy the the boxing training. Who does? But I think he's going to be in good enough shape to withstand it. Saying that, Quig's a big dude. He's very physical, very strong. If he's hitting to the body, which I think he will a lot, then perhaps Carl could start to, to tire down the stretch, but... I think with the pride on the line and everything that's gone up, it's going to take a, a lot for him to, to gas out. Um, I, I don't I don't really know, um, but you would maybe think that Quigg, he is a gym rat, like you said. I mean, he left school at 14 and just basically just lived in the gym till he was able to turn pro, and he just lives the life, and he loves it, so he's definitely going to be in shape. But I hope with these two guys at their prime, both young guys, this is the best possible maximum peak fitness for both of them. So um, I hope neither man sh- uh, fades down the stretch.
0: Yeah, very, very rarely in boxing do we get a fight like this where it's fifty fifty, undefeated guys in their prime. I mean, it just doesn't happen. It's what makes for the best fights in boxing, really. I you wish it would happen more, but but damn it, it's boxing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 funny how you know, I remember having this conversation when Steve invited me on the Irish boxing forum and we were talking about this, you know, over a year ago. And, you know, there was a a, a very, you know, thick sentiment. Um for Carl Frampton, a lot of people predicting, you know, mid to late round stoppage in the fight, and you know, and I, I was completely along with that. And then, you know, I started hearing, like we spoke to, to it a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, some of the more reputed uh, journalists that cover the sport over here in the states talking about Scott Quig this and Scott Quig that. You know, at the end of the day, I, I, I agree with Steve as far as like Scott is probably going to have to work the body, um, you know, a lot of people will say, Hey, you know, well, look what he did. did I mean, did you see Quigg's just world-class body work against, against Stefan Jamoye? Did you, I mean, did you see it? And I'm like, yeah, well, the difference here is, is that Carl Frampton may be shorter and have a shorter reach, but he's thicker in the measurable. He's got bigger arms. He's got a bigger chest. He's, he's stockier. Um, and Jamoye was built like a 13 year old boy. I mean, yeah. he, he had the body of a teenager Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that anybody that would hit that guy in the stomach, it would probably hurt him. He didn't even look like he was developed into a man yet. Right. So you can't, I don't think you can weigh that against a guy in Frampton who comes in at least looking, he, he he may be tired because he doesn't have a lot of body fat, but he is, he's thick, he's powerful. And I think that's the one thing that the people that are picking Quig here in, in the United States anyways, are completely overlooking who, is probably the actual power puncher in this one. Now, Quig knows how to finish. Right. No doubt about it. He will catch you in a flurry, in a swarm, and he will finish you if he has you doing the weeble wobble. But, you know, with Frampton, personally, I still feel, even though I feel this is more 50-50 than ever, I still feel that Frampton has the better one-punch power. He can counter with that straight right, and it is lights out.
0: Well, we heard it from from Kiko Martinez's mouth himself. He said in an interview, he said, yeah, I mean, I— from what from what I felt, uh, Carl Frampton is the harder puncher, right? and as simple as that. And I, I, I do think you know from the from the guys in this country that I, I really would like to know how many Scott Quigg fights they've seen and how many Carl Frampton fights they've seen. I, I feel like they just watched their last fight, their last both of their last fights, and are basing their opinion completely on that. Uh, Frampton to me coming to America to a just a small arena, no atmosphere in New Mexico fighting a guy he probably knew nothing about. Uh, who knows if weight was an issue or not? I, I feel like that probably played a part in the early knockdowns, just not having his legs under him from sucking down in weight. And and the fact of the matter is is he got up off the canvas twice, completely adjusted, and absolutely dominated nine of the last ten rounds of the fight. Yeah, I mean, simple as that. Yeah. We haven't seen Scott Quigg in a fight have to do that. He really hasn't been put through the ringer. He hasn't been tested in a fight. So this is the first time we're going to really see him get pushed. And you can't say for a fact that you know Scott Quigg can handle a fight like that. It's just we haven't seen it yet. No, we haven't. Steve? Yeah,
2: um, I think you made a good point, actually, um, about the Gonzalez fight as well. Because if you take away the first round and probably the third round as well, Frampton pretty much bossed that fight. He wasn't expected to struggle in any capacity. With with Gonzalez, let's be honest, he was expected to get rid of him um, around the middle rounds, I I predicted. And the fact that he was dropped twice, the the one dropped uh, knockdown was just a touch on the canvas, but the second one was a a genuine... They were both genuine knockdowns, but the second one was definitely a little bit more concerning than than the first. But other than that, he pretty much dominated the fight. And the fact that you brought up Stefan Jamoy as well there is an interesting point, because if you take away the Kiko Martinez fight, really... Quigg's um, reign of terror, you know, for this WBA belt, it, it hasn't really been that impressive against a line of of killers or anything, and, and Quigg hasn't really looked that great against these guys, Martinez apart. I mean, some of the opponents they haven't really been that good, to be honest. So, again, it goes back to who they've been fighting against each other, and I suppose quig Quigg's. Mental capacity, he's getting questioned a lot in the build-up as well. I mean, he's always been perceived as being a little bit thick, to put it blunt. I mean, it is a a bit mean. I mean, it is a running joke on social media, and you all know what social media is like, but they're they're drawing distinctions between his out-of-the-ring personality and the fact that he has no ring IQ. But, I mean, can he stick to a plan that Joe Gallagher sets out for him? I'd say he probably can. You know, Joe will have Frampton worked out as best as he can, and he'll be telling Scott exactly what to do. I mean... Ring IQ, does it come into it any more than he has to try and carry out his game plan? The problem he has there is, I think Frampton, is uh, t- he's two main two of his main assets, Frampton, I would say, is probably his footwork and his timing. And one of the greatest examples of this was in his fight with Chris Avalos, because his footwork was just brilliant that night. He was just half a step away from either being in range, throwing punches, or half a step away from being out of range and getting away from Avalos' shots. And he just made Avalos reach. He made him overreach. He, he made him look slow and sluggish. And every time Avalos committed and missed, Frampton punished him. Lovely timing, lovely uh, shot picking and shot selection. And you can just see him doing that against Quigg as well. If Quigg starts to get a bit desperate, starts to throw the big punches like, like he can, these these flurries like you mentioned, I can see Frampton maybe just picking him off a little bit. And uh, I think that Frampton's best uh, strategy will, will be to box definitely, use his speed, use his his ring IQ, as, as they call it, and um, I think he, he could end up making Quigg pretty bang average, but then, I mean, a guy in work was asking me today whether it was worth putting money on the draw. He says, oh, should we put money on the draw, you know, maybe get a rematch, get it back in Belfast for, for betting purposes, but it's a possibility. There's so many possibilities in this fight. I mean, like I said, before anything will seem obvious at the end of the day, but there's so many different scenarios that could, that could play out. The draw is definitely one of them.
1: I honestly think that Frampton, for him to be successful, I agree with Steve that he needs to uh, he needs the box. I think he look if he has learned his lessons from the first Kiko Martinez fight, which I think he has. I mean, the the areas that concerned me the most in that first Kiko fight with him getting caught with those big overhand left hooks that Kiko was ducking his head and winging in. Um, you know, outside of him getting caught in those in those moments, because Martinez did have some success but if he can shore those things up and and not allow Quig to have that kind of success with those kinds of punches and he boxes in that same technique and that same style cuz Kiko was ferocious in those first 4 rounds i mean he had his head down he was flying around like a maniac and he was able to wet Frampton was able to weather that and then he just sharp shot him to death for the entire remainder of the fight so i think I, I agree with Steve from a strategic standpoint. I, and you know what? Honestly, Scott Quigg may have to box more than he wants to. But one thing I noticed about Quigg, Vince, and you tell me if you notice this, Quigg has a tendency, if you put any bit of pressure on him, he leans backwards, but he's very, very flat-footed.
0: Yeah, he, yeah he's not a guy that's on his feet and moving. He's kind of just a, a, a come-forward fighter. Uh, to me... I'm uh, I see, when I watch Scott Quigg fight, I see a lot of holes that Carl Frampton can exploit. That being that he, he can get wide with his punches at times. And I just see, you know, I, I feel like this fight's going to start really slow. I feel like for two rounds, these guys are going to be flinching at each other. I agree. Because there's there's just too much pent up, you know. They're, they're just, it's going to take a minute for the, the nerves to calm. But I, I just feel like Carl okay. will be able to slide in and out like he did against Martinez, pop off short shots, accurate shots, and he'll just be the more active fighter. And I feel like once you hit the middle rounds, Quigg will kind of, I I think he's going to get lost because I I don't think he's going to be able to adjust. That's, that's just what I think. I, I could be completely wrong. I mean, everybody seems, I was just listening to leave it in the ring on the way up here with, with uh, Montoya and uh, Kim, both of them picking Quig, and callers calling in, picking Quig, But they're all saying we're in the minority. I'm going, how the hell are you guys in the minority? Every single person on here <laughs> is picking Quig. I, I, I don't know, man. I just see Carl as the superior talent. Now, that doesn't mean that Quig doesn't have the drive and, and just the determination to win a fight, because I think that's what he is as a fighter uh, when you get down to the nuts and bolts. But I just think Carl's skill will shine through in this fight, man.
1: Steve, Steve, let me ask you a question uh, about, about Scott Quigg. Do you ever notice with him, um, something I was picking up on and watching a few of his fights for, for refresher purposes, um, Quigg loves to throw hooks with both hands, but I notice that his right hook, which I'm assuming should be his power hook, comes looping much wider than the left hook. He's more accurate with the left hook. He seems to have more power with the right, but it seems like if he's looping that right hook that Frampton is going to have his straight right hand all night long.
2: Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't noticed that, actually, to be honest. I've been sort of focusing on the other things like his jab and uh, the fact that, like Vin said, when he gets backed up, his chin does to tend to come in the air a little bit, and he does throw a good left hook to the body. I hadn't noticed that little trait that you said, though, that might be something to look out for. Maybe go back on YouTube and watch it. But, I mean, I don't know what you guys think about this, but we all assume that Quig's going to be coming forward forcing the fight and uh, I think Vin what you said is right early on it might be a bit of a sort of tepid affair very nervous a lot of nervous energy out there the first few rounds could be pretty nip and tuck and it might not be till the the middle rounds and towards the end of the fight when they both get a bit looser and maybe a bit more tired that things might the action might heat up a bit but I'm wondering if Quig might come out and, and go to the back foot, a little bit like George Groves did against James DeGale. We all assumed that he was going to come and force the fight. And I wonder if Quig might uh, take a step back and say, Carl, you you come to me and I'll be the, the boxer, the counter puncher. That would be a bit of a, a strange one. Do you think it's a possibility?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, that would definitely, uh, I think that would throw Carl for a loop for sure. I mean, I would think that if I'm in the Frampton camp, I'd be expecting Quig to come out and, and and, you know, minus the first round or two of, of hitching at each other. I would expect it to for Quig to open it up and, and and kind of go for it because all they've been saying in the lead up to this fight is Carl can't take a punch. We saw he can't take a punch. He's chinny now. So you would think you would think that's their game plan, but who knows? Like you said, you're exactly right. He could get on the back foot and just throw everybody for a loop. I, this fight is so interesting in, in, in the ways that it could go. And I, I really, I cannot wait. I mean, Saturday cannot come fast enough, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, look. As far as as far as the you know the chinny thing, I mean, that's again, that's short sighted. You know, yeah. uh, you know, it's 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 what have you done for me lately? Oh, well, he got dropped. Yeah, but if you go back and really watch it, I mean, you know, part of the problem that Frampton had against Gonzalez was. Uh, not necessarily the nerves or or not being able to get up for the fight. I don't think. I think maybe it was it was more that he thought he was going to blast them out of there because he came in really really reckless winging shots. And that first punch that dropped him was literally just a, a little jab yeah. that caught him off balance and he just kind of staggered. He, he he wasn't hurt at either times. His his yeah his knees got a little bit wobbly, but like you said, he recovered. I mean, let's not forget that Scott Quigg was dropped by inferior, inferior competition. You know what I mean? So it's, it, you know, it goes both ways. Quigg's were you know, far in the past, com, you know, comparatively speaking, with Carl Frampton's. As far as chins are concerned, I mean, dude, Frampton took as big of a left hook to the dome repeatedly as you were going to take in the 122-pound division in that first fight with Kiko Martinez, I mean Frampton showed he had a pretty solid chin in that fight.
0: Yeah, he he definitely did. I mean, and, and the difference there's a huge difference between the Kiko Martinez that fought Frampton and the Kiko Martinez that fought Quig. Quig got Martinez after Frampton had. I I, I think Frampton beat beat Martinez to basically the end of his career. I yeah. mean, we we now see what he is as a fighter, and and God bless him. This weekend he's fighting Leo Santa Cruz. I hope he makes it through the fight alive. But that, you can't, the the difference in fighter, and I know it was only two years, but Martinez was beaten to a pulp by Frampton twice, and that takes a lot out of a fighter, especially a guy like Martinez, who does nothing but stay on the front foot until the fight's over, whether he wins or loses, knockout decision, it doesn't matter. He's coming the entire time.
1: Yeah, he fights like Provodnikov. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, does your, I think you made a prediction, Steve, um, over a year ago i, I i'm not going to quote you but i think it was you that said you you liked frampton around the sixth or seventh round if that is if that was if i'm remembering correctly <laughs> do you still foresee that as your prediction for the fight
2: no i've I've got i'm playing it a bit safer since then kenny i'm, I'm gonna uh plump for frampton on points i think uh yeah i always thought that frampton would bang him out but i do think quigg has improved over time and I don't think his chin is quite as bad as I first suspected, and a lot of people suspected because you mentioned chins, and Quigg has this sort of reputation that he's a bit chinny. And he did get dropped by Jamie Arthur, which was the fight I think you were referring to for yeah. the Commonwealth title. It was quite a long time ago now. And when we interviewed Joe Gallagher over here in Belfast, I said to him, uh, What's this about, you know, Quigg's chinny as his reputation? And he says, Well, prove it to me, prove, prove it that Scott's chinny. And, uh, well, I said, oh, well, I'm not going to hit him, but, um, I mean, <laughs> I don't really know what, what type of evidence he wanted me to present, but I suppose uh, the point was, really, the evidence isn't there, other than a flash knockdown down earlier in his career, and, okay, fair enough, I'll grant him that. There isn't the evidence, but then Quigg hasn't really been fighting the, the most stellar of competition either, so... If Frampton hits him flush on the chin, I think there's a chance he'll go and possibly vice versa. But yeah, I'm going to go for points. I think um, I think the first six rounds might be very nervous, very tense, and it might heat up as it goes along. But I think it will go to points either way. And, and obviously the the jackal will prevail, maybe like a uh, 117, 111, one, maybe a 116, 112, something in that type of region.
0: Vince, what's your prediction? I'm gonna go the other way. I'm uh, not the other way, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with you know I've I've thought that Frampton would stop Quig ever since this fight has been talked about and I've known about it. I I, I just see Frampton in later eight nine ten finding a frustrated Scott Quig that can't find the target and he's just he just basically beats him to a pulp. I mean the, the, either a referee stoppage or a knockdown and or a couple knockdowns and a stoppage. I just think that Carl Frampton is superior talent. It's simple as that.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to waver off of my prediction from, from last year. I mean, I I I still feel the same way. I think that they both showed vulnerabilities in different circumstances. Styles make fights. I mean, these guys are pretty much tailor-made. At some point, this thing's going to open up. Yeah. I agree with you. This is going to be a little do-si-do um, to open this thing probably for a round or two. Let's pray. To the good Lord that this does not turn into Andy Lee versus Billy Joe Saunders. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope not. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's just pray that these two don't get gun-shy and just twitch each other to death until all of us fall from epileptic seizures. Um, But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm still going with Frampton. I think it's going to be a shot that's going to get him. I just think it's going to be something down the middle. Quig comes a little too wide sometimes. As long as Frampton can stay away from the uh, the sustained body pounding, I'm not so concerned about Quigg's other power punches. um, Frampton to outbox him, and I think it's going to be a controversial split decision.
0: Do you? Yeah. And a and a second fight to come.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not? You know, these guys can sit here and say to you know Tom Dick and Harry that they want to fight you know Rigandow next, but at the end of the day, the fight that makes the most sense is for these guys to fight as many times as possible and hope that they can get you know a split 1 to 1 and then you know have the rubber match and everybody's rich.
0: Uh, yeah, they're all they're rich and they can retire. They don't even have to fight anybody after that after that trilogy. Hey
1: uh, uh, Steve, in this in this boxing climate, in this um you know with the fact that nobody, you know, people get to the top and then they use their sanctioning body to either stay away from from you know contests, or if they have one good fight against an equally matched opponent, they say, oh, well, I deserve a couple soft touches now. Do you see Frampton and Quigg going their separate ways after this, no matter what? Or can you foresee future matchups between these two while they're in their prime?
2: Yeah, I think if there's any possibility of making the rematch, I think they'll go for it. Uh, if the fight's close in any way, uh, if there's any controversy or anything like that, I think they'll definitely look to do it again. Uh, I don't think either man is particularly enamoured by the prospect of fighting Mr. Rigondio, your old friend. So um, I think I think they'll fight each other again, maybe look for a rematch in Belfast or something like that. They'll look to make as much money out of this as they possibly can. I mean, we all know about Rigo, we know what he brings to the table, what he doesn't bring to the table. He's not doing himself any favours at the moment, but the purist in me would also like to see that situation get, get resolved. And also the Leo Santa Cruz, I mean, you want to see the best guys fighting the best, so... I would like a definitive finish on Saturday night, but
0: I think the rematch is, is a very strong possibility. Yeah, I, I don't I mean, i I even see it as if it's a like you said, a one seventeen, one eleven, one sixteen, one twelve. Even when we see cards that are that are that wide, sometimes you have people that they they saw a completely different fight than what than what I or you may have saw. It seems to happen over in the UK a lot more than it happens here. We get rematches that when you're watching the fight you went, Well, at least when I, when I would watch some of them, I'd go, yeah, you know, I thought that really didn't warrant a rematch. But then you you, you let it simmer and, and people start arguing and, and going back and forth. And the next thing you know, you got a rematch when you weren't really even expecting it. I, I, I do think that it, it makes perfect sense. Even, even with scorecards like that, whether they're wide, I, I really see these guys, maybe if it's not an immediate rematch, they will meet a second time at least at some point.
1: Yeah, it's the only thing that makes sense for these two. I mean, look, if Franklin can't make the weight anymore, I mean, Quig can't be too far behind them. Quig could definitely move up as well, so I don't think it necessarily has to happen at this weight class, but as long as they want to keep these titles involved, um, it will have to do so. I mean, you're hearing all this posturing about, uh, if there's one thing Leo Santa Cruz has done really well over the last, say, like three years of his career, is he has told you everybody that he, he wants to fight. And there's nobody on that list that he will actually fight. But he's back doing what he does. And, um, you know, he's calling out the winner of this fight. Yet they both fight at 122. He brings up, you know, Kiko Martinez, who didn't have a lot of experience at at, at 122, brings him up to 126. Steve, what are your thoughts on that matchup? We previewed it in the last episode of the Tale of the Tape. But what are your thoughts on, you know, Leo Santa Cruz versus Kiko Martinez?
2: I think a few years ago it would have been a decent enough fight. I think Kiko's pretty much chewed meat now. He's just, he's, he's going around the houses and Santa Cruz is the latest to get hold of him. Frampton's already beaten him twice. Quigg's already beaten him. It's like Leo's almost getting their leftovers. He should be better than this. You know, he's had a real, I don't know what's going on with his career. It like he was going to fight the best guys at the time. It seemed like a really interesting prospect, but he's just completely fallen off the radar. His level of opposition has been terrible and, Kiko's really a natural bantamweight, not even a super bantamweight. He's a really small guy. He's been around for <laughs> a long time. If Santa Cruz has got anything about him, he's probably going to take him out. But if Kiko can get into his chest and make it difficult for him, if he has at least anything left, then he, he could make it difficult for Santa Cruz because I've not really been impressed with him. I mean, he was being talked <laughs> about as the second coming of Antonio Margarito at a point, but he's really underwhelmed me. His level of opposition's been very poor and I think he's actually regressed a little bit. and I'm not surprised they made this match at all. In fact, he's become irrelevant Santa Cruz until he fights someone half decent. I'm just not really that fussed on him and Martinez match doesn't really excite me that much.
1: Leo Santa Cruz, the I think one of the biggest detriments to his development in this sport has been, yeah, obviously, you just look at it on paper, the you know that 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 run of three or four Mexican cab drivers and sparring partners you know that he was fighting but you know at, at the end of the day i think it's really hurt as far from a technical standpoint i think it's destroyed his accuracy because what i noticed in those fights was is that he was just throwing punches and he knew if he just kept throwing punches and kept coming forward he was going to land some of them with no regard for any any and you know any sort of uh, awareness for accuracy whatsoever. And I think we saw that in the Abner-Marez fight. Marez was right there to be hit all night long. And Santa Cruz was whiffing on so much. And, yeah, he's got a motor. And he was pushed by Marez. And he showed me one thing in that fight was is that when he gets pushed, he has another gear. Right. Right? But that's just it. I mean, honestly, Leo Santa Cruz, come on, man. Like, you, you need... Scott Quigg even more than Quigg needs Leo Santa Cruz. And the only reason I bring Quigg's name up, because I want to see Leo Santa Cruz fight somebody his own damn size.
0: Yeah, that's a problem we see with him and we've been seeing with him is they keep bringing up these smaller guys from, from the weight class below or sometimes even two below. Whatever this legend of Leo Santa Cruz was two years ago, like Steve said, he's the next coming of, of Margarito. Every performance I see from him looks very similar. Yeah. The, the only thing that, that we saw, like you said, in the Mars fight was he, he kicked it into another gear. He showed you that you know if it gets tough, I, I can handle it. I'm ready. I can turn it up. But I, it's just very vanilla, very straightforward, very straight punching. He, he's just active. He's a volume puncher is what he is. Uh, You're you're exactly right. He needs names, and he needs them now. To be 27 years old and already on the two-fight-a-year program that that Al likes to get get his his bigger-name guys on, it just doesn't make sense. It's like, come on, man. Are you building your brand, or are you just just doing whatever the PBC tells you? You would want to think that... Fight four times a year, man. Let people know who you are. Nobody knows who he is, and it just... Steve's right. He's become basically irrelevant.
1: If you're the WBA featherweight champion now, you've moved on from 122. You've already been documented and said that in the next three or four years, you want to make it all the way up to junior welterweight, right? Right. 126 pounds is fully loaded, primarily controlled by Al Heyman. We don't need to see him beaten up on a career one eighteener. We need to see him in the ring fighting the likes of Jesus Cuellar, fighting the likes of Gary Russell, Lee Selby. All these guys are signed to Al Heyman and none of them are fighting more than twice a year. And like you just said on to that point, it is absolutely just just horrible. I mean, these guys have become so irrelevant. Meanwhile, there are guys right there. What 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 did 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 Big Papa Al go around and poll? all of his 126ers and say, hey, guys, all right, it's either or. Um, you guys can take the the soft road. I'll give you soft touches your entire career. We'll make you rich. Or you guys can fight each other, and we'll make you rich. What do you guys want to do? <laughs> can I stay undefeated? Well, look, but, 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 <laughs> but think about these personalities that you're dealing with, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Leo, Leo Santa Cruz comes off as a spoiled child, right? Lee Selby's a prima donna. Gary Russell Jr. is a prima donna. I mean, these guys think of themselves in such high regard. I think Jesus Cuellar is probably sitting there just, you know, just keeping his freaking boots sharp and his freaking gloves laced up, and he's just like, come on, I'm ready. Yeah, right. But Papa Al's not sending these guys his way. That's the thing that's shameful about Leo Santa Cruz. I don't want to spend too much time on him, but, I, you know, at the end of the day, this guy has the toughness, I think, I think the ring IQ, and I think he has the the, the motor, that it doesn't matter if he takes a, a tough loss to a Cuellar or he takes a tough loss, even you know, extend an olive branch, and let's say it's to Nicholas Walters or Lomachenko. He will get more respect for going 12 competitive, losing 116 to 112 times three against Lomachenko than he will freaking decapitating whack a mole Kiko Martinez.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right, man. It's just a fight that's completely unnecessary. Yeah.
1: All right, Steve, big news pay-per-view city over in the United Kingdom. You guys just should have a, a like a, a yearly subscription for pay-per-view where you get that channel, just like all the other uh, cable channels you pay for. So many pay-per-views. But one sells out in 90 seconds. Charles Martin is coming over and will receive a check for $5 million, and then he will sign his belt over to Anthony Joshua. Charles Martin versus Anthony Joshua, the O2, sells out in 90 seconds. What in the hell was going on with the martin camp and how did joshua get so lucky
2: <laughs> well there is some there are conspiracy theories <laughs> floating around about the whole ibf situation and who was putting pressure on who and people saw this coming down the line whether that that was all true or not i don't know uh, as for the 90 seconds thing they sold out in 90 seconds and then they find themselves on these third party uh, sort of websites and these sponsor websites you know, uh, just minutes later, yes, yeah, StubHub uh, you know, for the inflated quadrupled prices, so whether it, how quickly it sold out is is, a, is another matter, but uh, yeah uh, Joshua's pay-per-view, you now every fight from now on will be pay-per-view in the UK I suppose it's a whole lot better than some of the previous names mentioned, like Derek Chisora so I'm pretty pumped up for it, but it's it's a belt grab, it's like I said in the article that I was writing for the, for the boxing rant, um, I just I think he's just handing over his belt for cash, Martin. Uh, Nobody really knows how good he is. I don't think he or his team really knows how good he is. And um, it's just been proven that even though Joshua's moving up to world level and people are saying it's too early for him, Deontay Wilder set the WBC blueprint. You don't really have to fight at world level and fight world-class opponents when you've got a world title because you can just pick out these guys, do whatever you want to do, Joshua, to I'm not knocking him at all, not knocking his team at all. I can see exactly why they're doing it. Beat Martin, which he probably will, which I expect him to, and then defend the belt against your Glaskovs, your tackhams your, your Cunninghams if he moves back up, your Teppers if he sorts his problems out. Milk a few pay-per-views, move on to a David Hay or a Tyson Fury fight. And, yeah, I don't blame them at all for doing this. The IBF, are they culpable for their, for their uh, inf- uh, stringent rules? Possibly. He's going to grab the belt on April the 9th. I think that's pretty much going to be all, all to see. And Sky are pumping out 8 to 10 pay-per-views, they reckon, this year. So, yeah, the, the fight fans over here aren't too happy about that. Well,
0: if, if Joshua wins this fight, which I think everybody, me and Ken, fully expect him to do pretty, pretty quickly, are they going to keep him as active or are they going to set him back to you know a three-fight-a-year schedule? Or are they going to keep doing the five, six fights a year like they're doing now? No, I I think it'll be the the 3 fighter year schedule, I really do.
2: I think they'll take a year, not a strict year, but about 12 months, maybe towards 18 months, maybe making three or four defences. They'll not go back to what they were doing early on in his career because early on in his career, everybody wanted to see Joshua. He was the cash cow. If there was a pay-per-view that was uh, lagging badly, they'd put Joshua on it. If there was a show that wasn't selling well, not that many of their shows don't sell well, to be fair. They are very good marketers, but they would put Anthony Joshua on it. And people want to see him. You just see it on Twitter. You see it on Facebook. Um, you see him on Sky Sports all the time. He has his own brand. And he really is becoming absolutely huge over here, Joshua. People just want to see him. And I can't see him going back to the um, the fast track schedule. I think he'll fight every so many months on pay-per-view, defending his belt. And um, they, they might find some decent opponents for him. I don't know. I think the Dillian White fight was a pretty good fight for him at that time. We didn't think he was going to step up to world title level next. If he's, is he even stepping up to world title level? Is Martin, <laughs> is Martin even world class? It's a serious question. This is a guy who wasn't barely ranked top 15 in American heavyweights before he fought for the belt. You know, So uh, Joshua can beat this guy. I think he will beat this guy. And then they'll they'll put him out three or four times in the year,
1: and, and why not, yeah? Yeah, this, uh, this is such a mismatch. And, you know, you got to, God love those that are out there, you know, pitching the spiel, uh, you know, out there campaigning, you know, for Martin, that he is something more than uh, an out-of-shape, flat-footed Southpaw. Um, you know, size-wise, yeah, he'll look eye-to-eye with Joshua, no doubt about it. Charles Martin is in questionable shape at best. He's going to have to look a whole hell of a lot better physically coming into this fight than he did the Glasgow fight, and I and, you know, Martin hasn't shown an ability to move at all. He's got a one-two that's okay; it's got a little bit of pop, but that—that that is the entirety of his arsenal. I was listening to an episode of maybe it was two episodes ago of um, uh, of the Boxing Asylum, your show, Steve, that you're a panel member on, and I was listening to your conversation about about the fight, and I, I don't know if it was you or Andy or somebody else that asked your American panel members about Charles Martin, and th- their response was, I, honestly, I don't really know much about other than the four rounds that I watched against Vyacheslav-Glaskov. And, uh, and I'll be completely honest with you. Vince and I do a lot of research for for our preview shows, and we learned everything that we have ever known in our entire lives about Charles Martin doing our research for the preview show against Glaskov.
0: Yeah, I mean, Charles Martin, I, I really, you, you see people trying to it's almost like they're questioning whether Joshua can handle a guy like Charles Martin. I would, I would strongly suggest that those people go to YouTube and watch the couple Martin videos that you can find of him fighting in what looked to be high school gyms. And this is three, four fights ago. This is recent within the last year and a half. He's just not a guy that is on world-class level or even near it. In my opinion, the fact that he was able to walk out of the ring with the belt that night. Should have been a no contest. Either should have refought the fight or or, or brought somebody else in to fight Martin. And he, he probably would have lost to Glasgow. And he probably would lose to anybody. He'd lose to Brazil. He'd lose yeah. to Mansour. Yeah, he's lucky he got out of that Brazil fight. He really is.
1: Yeah, I, I, I honestly, Steve, I 100% believe that this is going to end within three. Charles Martin is at the... You know, fight 21, fight 22 of Deontay Wilder's up-and-coming level. I mean, he's not very good at all. And uh, Joshua's going to put on a show for the world and he is going to... That star that is burning brightly over in the United Kingdom, he's going to be a star in the United States after this fight. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I think one one interesting angle, actually, of this whole thing is uh, it's interesting, though, to see Al Heyman sort of letting his fighters go out and seek opportunities. I mean... I'm wondering if this is all part of this new PBC master plan because, excuse me, we're hearing from a quite solid source that Al Hayman is actually interested in expanding the PBC brand into the UK. And there's talk of maybe a possible 20 or so shows being broadcast on uh, ITV, which is like a commercial sort of channel behind BBC. So is Al going to be doing more work with Eddie? Eddie's wider stable. Are we going to see the Fight Pass guys? Is he, is, is he going to start working with Mick Hennessy? Maybe David Hay. We don't know. Is this Charles Martin thing and the fact that Dominic Wade's going over to fight Golovkin? Is this the is this the new thing that Al's going to start pulling now? I mean, that's a sort of wider point that I'm sort of taking a look at as well.
1: Well, you, I mean, you got to look at. I, I I think you're onto something there. I think that for the longest time, Al tried to throw all of his B sides, you know, on TV over here, and people just stopped watching it and. You know, the fact is is that most of the superstars in the sport we all know sit outside of the PBC. So basically Al had signed every single decent B side that there is. Now I think that there is um a lot to do, a lot of weight, a lot of substance behind the fact that Al Heyman is now shipping his stars out to be B sides. And if he's going to, to pawn off the the garbage stuff that should not be televised over here onto you guys. I apologize for Al Heyman (laughs) putting a dent in our foreign policy and our foreign relations because I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. I wouldn't want that, you know, played in, 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 You know, my worst enemy's living room.
0: Yeah, we've been watching the dumpster fire now for about, what, 11 months? I haven't watched, like, the last three months. I
1: I even canceled it off of my DVR because I didn't want to contribute to the ratings anymore. If I was just going to delete it, I didn't want them getting my stat. Right. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) look, I I think there's truth to it, but I'm not so sure whatever plan or master plan him and Eddie Hearn had when they met for that long extended period uh, of time over a year and a half ago. You know, I don't know if they're sticking to that plan or if this is a diversion from the original plan because of how much money um, they wasted. I don't know if he wants to uh, stage fights over in the UK so he can maybe actually sell some tickets because people might show up for these fights or if it's just going to be, we're going to put our our PBC toe-to-toe Tuesdays and our PBC on bounce with basically ESPN Friday night fights or showbox level fighters fighting on, you know, Prime time on a uh, you know an alternate sports channel in Ireland. I mean, I, I don't see where other than Al Heyman shipping his guys to be B sides for Eddie's guys. You know, yeah. the relationship with Mayweather Promotions tells me that, hey, man, I got this stable of like 15 guys your guys can beat up on. That's what that tells me.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That was a very strange deal. That that whole TMT, Eddie <laughs> Hearn stuff was like, what? I don't get it, man. What is this? It's a, it's a, it's a Ponzi
1: scheme. They yeah. know that they're going to get their cut, and it's going to make Eddie's guys look good, and Floyd's going to get a cut of watching his waist of a stable win maybe two out of ten fights.
0: Well, well look, if you're Al Heyman... And if if the stories are true and and the, and it's, the coffers are running dry, uh, how can you how can you seriously advise against a Charles Martin making five million dollars? Yeah, you can't do that no. and expect any fighter to ever sign with you after that. Like, why the hell would you? T- he already did it. We saw it with Quillen over a year ago. Turned down his biggest payday. Now look what happens to him. Yeah, he's gotten beat, and he probably probably won't sniff. A payday like that ever again?
1: No, because now he's going to get 10% or 15% of $500,000 for a comeback fight instead of that 10 or 15% of the $1.5 Hey, Steve, mm. if, if Charles Martin's making $5 million, how much is Joshua making for this? I really don't know. Do you think Charles Martin is making as high as that? I heard that, but I don't know. <sighs> I mean, for a heavyweight, title fight right you know if this would if if this would have been like a you know some of those kind of suspect when they were trading belts you know back in the uh in the in the late 90s early 2000s in the heavyweight division before the klitschko reign took over i mean those guys were still making a pretty penny for fighting in heavyweight championship fights i mean you got to figure if you know if they're selling out the o2 and Mm -hmm. and and the tickets are reasonably priced and they're having pay-per-view there and they're going to show it here in the states they get the tv rights from showtime i mean you got to think that maybe maybe joshua's making maybe he's making 3 or 4 million you know what i mean yeah. maybe yeah. but maybe he's making 10 million right you know at the end of the day i think for a heavyweight title fight there's enough global interest to be able to warrant purses like this because let's be honest i mean this is like right now i mean amir khan's getting 8 million to fight canelo i know it's in the states and it's a much more expensive pay-per-view model over here but um yeah i mean i could see if this if the total purse for this fight was somewhere between you know 10 and 12 million dollars yeah
2: yeah i just i just see if joshua's getting that type of money now that's a that's quite a high ceiling at this stage of his career and I mean, if if he were to get beaten, I mean, it really would come crashing down around them. I know he renegotiated his deal with Matrean recently, so there was maybe something about pay-per-view sales we're adding on. Maybe he's going to be pulling in from that, and if they're selling out the O2 as well, which they obviously will do, then then there's all that money coming in. They did four hundred thousand pay-per-views against White, so there's no reason why they can't, you know, make make a hell of a lot more in this one with it being like a, a you know supposed world title fight. So. Yeah, I could see Joshua getting a hell of a lot, you know, even as a challenger. And, I mean, look at the odds. I mean, I'm not a betting man, but, I mean, the the odds are unprecedented for a a challenger coming in. And nobody fancies Martin at all, to be honest. But if Joshua's getting that type of money, then where does it go from here? I mean, you know, he really has hit the jackpot. So fair play to Charles Martin. Uncle Al's gonna suck up a lot of that money. He's starting to call his percentage twenty-five percentages back in or whatever it is. So he's starting to get a bit of that money back. But um I'm sure his investors will be wondering where, where their where their cut of the pie is gonna be coming back soon, hopefully, because you're gonna to have to start um you know opening up the account books to them if the if the reports are true, like you said.
1: Yeah, he's gonna to have to exercise that option in his contract. Uh, you know, look you know, there could be something to this too, because of the lack of information that we have. Part of maybe, maybe part of this deal with Mayweather and Al Heyman to bring some guys over to maybe fight as B sides against, um, against Eddie's stable. Maybe part of that deal is options on Joshua to have him televised in the United States because then if he, if Al Heyman is able to pull off the unthinkable, because by this point, he'll be able to renege on everything that he said and go back to a pay-per-view model. But if he puts Joshua on pay per views, I'm telling you, this is his coming-out party. Yeah. People are going to see this guy, and he's going to look impressive. Just the, the physical sight of him. Many have not seen him, and I think that that could. And it's huge speculation, but it only makes sense considering the fact that, like we're talking about right now, if Joshua starts exceeding this ceiling and this level of guaranteed money, that he's going to require it's going to require more than a thirty pound sky pay per view.
0: Is that what you pay, Steve, for a pay per view?
2: Well, it's it's about twenty. It's going to be about twenty pounds. So what's that? Thirty five
0: dollars, something like that. That's, yeah, that's less, or that's half price of what it is over here.
1: Yeah, for thirty five or forty bucks, we'll get a uh, some obscure pay per view from from the Ukraine.
0: You get um, Mosley Mayorga too for that. Yeah, you can get it. Lucas
2: Mose- Brown, Ruslan, Chagoyev, oh yeah, isn't that forty dollars? Yeah, that's forty
1: dollars. Yeah. I <laughs> know. <laughs> Dude, that's it's tough. it's outrageous. And the worst part is, man, is uh oh man, is it's just the undercards. I mean, outside of that undercard for uh Canelo Koto undercard was really good. But um yeah, so is Anthony I mean, I'm I'm sorry, is Lee Selby joining the party on the undercard of Joshua Martin?
2: Uh, well, they're talking about it, yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I think Lee Selby is going to be onto it, which is why it's we're wondering about the Hayman going onto ITV situation. Because, I mean, the likes of Lee Selby and your James DeGales who have the link up between Hearn and Hayman, they're not going to be putting them on the likes of ITV 4 and that to you know to wither away with no ratings. He'll be looking to stack them on pay per view cards like the Joshua Martin card. So it's not even going to be those guys who are going to be featuring on that. I mean, he's, he wants he's got. De Gale's fighting, is it Medina? He, he's fight, DeGayle's fighting Medina, isn't he, in a defence? Yeah. So he, he's got that one, and he's got Selby as well. So those type of guys aren't going to be going on to this owl deal. So it's, the, the whole thing's just The waters are so much muddied at the moment, I don't really know what the hell's going on, but they don't really worry too much about undercards, to be honest. I mean, if DeGale and Selby end up on the Joshua one, that'd be pretty good, because at the moment they're just... Um, you know, running the pay-per-views off the main events. I mean, this one on Saturday night, the undercard isn't, isn't the best, which would be a bit of an understatement, you know? So, I mean, they're not really too bothered about the, about the undercards.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. We want to ask you about what's going on right now with, with Tyson Fury, because we're trying to figure out, is he trolling everybody? Is he just messing with everybody, taking everybody on a, on a, you know, on a, on on a magic carpet ride until him and Klitschko finalize the deal for their rematch or, I mean, is this just, just Fury being Fury? What's going on with him? You hearing anything?
2: He, he, must be. he must be. I know about as much as you do about it. The whole thing is just weird. I mean, he's coming out with all sorts of bizarre statements in the press, which is nothing new for him. He was talking about it that he was eating hedgehogs the other day or something. <laughs> no, and- no. <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, that's just some of the mild stuff. Sure, we all know about all the the other type of stuff he comes off with, and he's always been like this. I remember us talking before, and like going to his press conferences. Now the whole world gets to see him and gets to hear him. We've just been hearing that stuff for the last few years. Whenever he was fighting in Belfast, the man's absolutely crazy. I don't. <laughs> I honestly don't think there's any connection between what he says and what he thinks. Half the time, he just comes off with stuff, and you know, I'd even go so far to say there's there's not even that much malice in him. But I mean. To do with these tweets, yes, he says that he's going to have this big, massive name. People are talking about Vitali coming out of retirement. The Vlad rematch is off. Is it Huey Fury, the fight that is the big fight that he's talking about? Nothing gets announced for that either. Peter Fury, was pretty straight down the line, said that they've been doing negotiations in London. Won't say with who. Oh, there's an announcement coming. There's an announcement, there's been an announcement coming for about the last two weeks, so (laughs) we can forget about that. Nobody knows. I, I don't know, to be honest, what on earth is going on. They're talking about a U.K. venue now for the Klitschko rematch. They were talking about uh, having it down in Dublin at the time. That was that was mentioned maybe at the beginning of June. Is Klitschko injured? Is he going to retire? Everything's up in the air at the moment, and Tyson isn't helping with these tweets. I think that he was trolling personally. I mean, until something's announced, we're going to have to assume
1: that he was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What is going on with Billy Joe Saunders, man? Is this, this going to be one of these guys that just faces, you know, patty cakes and just, you know, collects on his belt. I mean, that stunt he pulled after being offered $2.5 million to fight Gennady Golovkin, he turns it down, says he wants more money, and then literally I saw, I counted the damn time, six minutes after the official announcement came from Tom Loeffler and K2 about Golovkin Wade, literally six minutes later, Billy Joe Saunders is like, hey, let's do it. Uh, I'm ready to rock. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Tom Loffler tweeted that, didn't he? He said um, there's that little meme going around. where He says they all come crawling out the woodwork after Golovkin, you know, signs to fight Wade. They all come out saying they want the fight now. But like you said, two and a half million dollars, which is, you know, just over 1.7 million pounds, something like that. It was as high as 3.2 million, according to Frank Warren. But either way, I mean, it's such a disappointing situation from Saunders as well, especially because... To be fair to Saunders, on the way up towards the belt, he actually had a pretty decent reign. I mean, not, uh, you know, of opponents. He fought a lot of undefeated guys. He fought the Italian, Blandamura, who was undefeated. He fought Jared Fletcher, the Australian. I mean, he was pitiful. We saw him against Jacobs, but he, he came undefeated. He knocked him out. He beat uh, Chris Eubank Jr. in a fight that he didn't have to take. He beat John Ryder, who at the time was a decent prospect, came over from Matrim across the divide, beat him, beat Gary Spike Sullivan, Turned out to be a limited puncher, but he was also undefeated at the time. Point is, can't really fault Saunders. You know, he seemed like the type of guy who was going to take a challenge. But then they're arguing over the the minutiae of contracts and deals. And realistically, if Billy Joe Saunders wanted the fight, if his team wanted the fight, they could take it, they could get well paid. And it's clear they don't want it. I mean, in one sense, you don't blame them. But then what's the point in boxing? I mean, why, why even bother watching the sport if that's the case then? And as for Triple G... Can't fault him for taking the Dominic Wade fight. Dominic Wade watched a bit of the fight against Sam Solomon, had to turn it off. Absolutely terrible. (laughs) Triple G is going to walk right through him. And, you know, Saunders probably just going to hold the belt hostage over here and make a few paydays off it. I mean, it is a
0: bit of a sad situation, really. Saunders Saunders might get lucky because the way I see it, I don't think Canelo is going to be taking the fight with Triple G later in the year so. Saunders may get the offer, come back at him, you know, come September of, of this year. And, and and hopefully we'll get to see it. Because, look, I, I actually think Saunders could fare decently in that fight. Not not by having a chance of winning, but showing better than possibly anybody has against Triple G to this point.
2: Yeah, yeah. Saunders is one of these awkward guys. He never looks spectacular, but he just, just seems to be able to do enough. I mean, in the Andy Lee fight, he, he never really put the fight beyond doubt. I thought he won it, but maybe only by a couple of points, two or three points at the end of the day. And he had the the two knockdowns as well. Um, he's a strange fighter. He just picks some probes and prods away and he works quite diligently. Then he takes rounds off and he doesn't seem to be spectacular, but he's just awkward. He manages to just get the job done, but, He's never fancied the Triple G fight. I mean, he's, he's always been quite open about what his thoughts about Triple G. I mean, he says pretty much what we all see, and the man's an absolute killer. And before the Eubank Junior fight, in fact, it was put to him at a press conference, and Saunders quite openly stated he, he says Triple G would beat both me and Chris Eubank on the same night. And he requested an AK-47 if you were to ever fight him. <laughs> I mean, talk about laying the groundwork for avoidance. I mean, he's not been—he's not been backwards in coming forwards about you know the fact that he
1: doesn't want to. Oh man, it's just—I uh, know, I know. I, I, it's just so frustrating, man. Because, like Vince said, I mean, I, look—if if Saunders eventually does take the fight, let's just say. I mean, Sa- Saunders has a decent resume. <laughs> you know, at the at the European-UK level. He's fought some, some undefeated guys. He's had uh, a better resume than some of his contemporaries at his age in this division. Uh, there's no doubt about that. See, if he has any intention at all, and he's completely beatable, so like I said, he could lose the belt at any fight, in my opinion, personally, as long as he's fighting somebody that is decent, that we've heard of before, mm-hmm. um, so there's a chance, but it makes more sense actually if he got offered 2.5 or 3.2 you know whatever that number was from Golovkin to fight him now he knows that if if canelo does not dump the belt okay and he fights Triple G whether it's in in November or it's next May i think it's going to be next May i think they're going to fight no matter what even if canelo dumps the belt i think it's still going to be next May at Jera's World at, at at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium in front of a hundred thousand people. It's gonna sell over a million pay per views and then Golovkin's gonna win like everybody thinks he's going to, right? And then Billy Joe Saunders will be like, hey, you can come and take my belt now and I'll take six million to fight you on US pay per view.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. That makes that makes perfect sense. Well, a lot has to happen for that to happen. Yeah.
1: But either way, I mean, you know, just like there's more money in Golovkin for Canelo by waiting, there's anybody that has a belt or something that Golovkin wants, the more time that goes by, the more valuable that, uh, I guess you could say that the, the handover of the belt will be. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, fair enough. That's a good point. I'd say Saunders and his team, Frank Warren's the master of this. I mean, they call it the, the Warren book boxing organization, the WBO. He knows them inside out. They'll be looking up the top 15 and, and deciding on who the opponents are, and getting mandatories and voluntaries, and yeah, that's 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 a scenario that you've painted there. That's quite quite plausible. I mean, in the meantime, is Golovkin? I mean, is he going to go after Jacobs? Maybe after he's disposed of this Wade, is he going to Toriano Johnson? Is when he comes back from injury, is he going to start beating those type of guys till he gets the Canelo fight? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that the uh, I think we're looking at a um, an honest. Uh, this is just my opinion, speculation. The way that the cards are falling as we speak right now, where everybody's associated, I think that we are going to see a pay-per-view, okay, between Golovkin and Danny Jacobs sometime in October, The same around the same time that he fought Lemieux in a pay-per-view. I think they're going to make that fight, and that is going to be the lead-in to the Canelo fight in May. I just have this feeling he may fight another mandatory or take on, you know, if Andy Lee wins his next fight and maybe Golovkin fights Andy Lee and, mm-hmm. you know, in July or August or something like that. Um, but I can definitely see uh, a Danny Jacobs fight happening, especially now that Heyman is, you know, with the w- with the WBA eventually going to, to force that issue eventually, um, and Heyman showing a willingness to work with Tom Loeffler, I think that all of these negotiations will serve up Dominic Wade, but we want Danny Jacobs a little bit later. I think all these conversations are ongoing. Which Which direction they go, a little bit of speculation a little bit of guesswork but you can kind of see a trend uh developing right now yeah yeah, yeah.
0: You, you definitely can I mean it, the fact that that Heyman has obviously, obviously the doors are the doors open, are open now. now you can you can see that he is he willing to negotiate, to negotiate across the, across the table. table he's willing to open the gates the PBC gates so to speak and let his boys out of the backyard yep and let him go find some fights and make some money so yeah I, I think that's a great fight I think it sells it sells in New York they can put it at the Barclays Center they can put it at MSG uh on pay-per-view they'll make a ton of money with that fight and and everybody as as kind of look Danny Jacobs is a good fighter but everybody seems to want that fight so it it just makes perfect sense on the dollar side of things could... I agree, Vin. I was just going to say. I, I, I was going to say pretty
2: much what you said, Vin. I think hopefully the Wade and Martin situations are forcing the pathway now, and Jacobs can walk down that and get his payday against Triple G and cash himself out. Really,
1: Steve, Chris Eubank, Nick Blackwell. Uh, we don't know anything about Nick Blackwell. Can you give us a, a a little bit of a generic scouting report on this guy for Eubank?
2: Yeah, Blackwell. He's a tough guy. He comes forward, likes to fight, no real amateur pedigree to speak of. He, I think he was working on the sort of unlicensed scene, you know, this sort of, um, it's basically not British board um, approved scene and, and he's a pretty tough guy. He's done things the, the hard way, he fought Martin Murray, fought Billy Joe Saunders and he was losing against John Ryder before he came from behind and knocked him out. He's He's just learning on the job, tough guy, good, honest British champion. Had a good defence last time and a knockout win. It's on Channel 5 on terrestrial television. And the Eubank career is just it's such a strange one. I mean, he's gone over to from Channel 5 to Sky. Then apparently, the, uh, from what I heard, Eubank Senior was annoyed that Sky weren't putting this fight on as a pay-per-view or something. So he's dragged him back over to Channel 5 again. He, he's joined up with Adam Booth. He shouldn't have any problems with Blackwell. Uh, um, not in a derogatory sense, Blackwell's a good fighter, but Eubank Jr., if he's going to aspire to world class, he needs to be beating this level of opposition, and I think he will beat him. But Blackwell's a good fighter, decent opposition at this level, at British level, and, and he will give Eubank good fight for as long as it lasts. I think it might go a distance, actually. Eubank doesn't really punch that hard. Blackwell's tough. It'll, it'll be a good fight.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, from, from where we sit, where I, we I sit don't know now, anything about Blackwell. about Blackwell except for what you just told us, but I do know about Eubank, and there's every time I watch him fight, I just can't help but see a guy that, that is not polished. He's not he's not near world-class level yet, but for some reason he's touted as a guy that is, and I just see such a sloppy, sloppy attack from him when I see him fighting. I, I just think it's only a matter of time, and uh, maybe it, it won't be Blackwell, but... As soon as he steps into the top five of that division, he's going to find himself in real, real tough.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, I think everybody knows how I feel about Eubank. I think he flails. I think he he winds up. I think he he telegraphs all of his power punches. I think you can tell exactly when the uppercut is coming every single time. He doesn't disguise anything. Um, He overwhelms those that are a little bit inferior to him athletically. I want to see him step up after this Blackwell fight. I hope Blackwell gives him exactly what Steve thinks he will. You know what I mean? I hope this goes the distance. This kid needs to be humbled to the point where he shows some adjustments. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Much in the same way, not nearly as egocentric um, as as Eubank, but it's similarly with Errol Spence. At some point, while Spence is more highly regarded than Eubank, yeah. you want to see them make an adjustment, and Eubank did not make any adjustments other than fighting a little bit more in the in in the Billy Joe Saunders fight. But um, I'm 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 with Steve. I I I think that there are very few people that you hear honestly depicting Chris Eubank um, that say that he has the kind of power that him and his father have, uh, or 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 say that he has. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Eubank does need to uh hey, I'll take a rematch with 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 BJ Saunders in the interim of seeing a uh, uh a potential Golovkin fight. I mean maybe Eubank will be ready for Golovkin if he can beat Saunders in the in the rematch.
2: I would love to see that. I'd love to see Triple J fight Eubank. Imagine what he'd do to him. It would be brilliant.
1: <laughs> be a massacre, man. Yeah. Yeah, that would be uh But he would fight him?
2: That's the thing to his credit. he you know, I think he would fight him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed that that gets snuck in at some point.
0: Yes, please. Um,
1: All right. Well, Steve, we appreciate you hanging on this long with us, man, and uh, sitting in on episode 106 of the Tale of the Tape. We appreciate all of your insight on uh, Frampton Quigg, uh, Joshua Martin, and um, a little bit from around the UK boxing scene.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me on. All
1: right. We'll talk to you soon, Steve. Take care, and uh, we'll catch you on another episode of the Tale of the Tape. You can check out Steve Welling's work. Um, On theboxingrant.com, he is a contributor to the site. He has some great articles and insight uh, on the current events, uh, a lot of it UK-based, uh, influencing theboxingrant.com uh, from a global perspective, especially considering all the great things that are going on right now over in the UK scene.
0: Absolutely, man.
1: Um, real quick before we end, then. Keith Thurman versus Sean Porter has been... Say it ain't so, Ken. Say it ain't so. Okay, look. (laughs) Apparently, Keith Thurman was in a car accident. Lutabella said it's going to be four to six weeks because of soreness. Kenny Porter says he needs to see proof. (laughs) Uh, Sean Porter hasn't fought since June. Last June of 2015 against Adrian Broner. Keith Thurman hasn't fought since July against Luis Calazo Vince. What do you... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i can't defend my boy
0: anymore i'll tell you that so you think that there's something else going on here to me i i i I don't know if there was a car accident i'm not gonna act like i know one way or the other but to (laughs) me it seems like maybe training camp wasn't as going as good as they thought it was gonna go they got into it and key said you know something doesn't feel right about this one and I'd like to go ahead and postpone this, please.
1: If you're Sean Porter, do you move on and try to get a fight within the next month with somebody that that has at least maybe a journeyman name, just to get
0: back in the ring? Go, go dig up Luis Colazo, right? Go, go beat him up better than Thurman did, and and, and show the world that way. I, I, look, I don't. You have to get back in the ring. Uh, I mean, it's what it's been nine months since, or yeah, eight months since he's fought. <laughs> he's got to get in the ring. He has to stay active. Don't don't wait for Keith Thurman. He'll be back. You'll get him later on. Uh, and it also could be another one of those things where they are they think this fight in the public eyes is bigger than it, it actually is. I mean, it's a big fight. It's a huge fight in wel- at the welterweight division, but it's maybe they're trying to build it up more before they, they let it come off. I don't know, man. It's a very strange situation.
1: Yeah, it definitely uh, reeks a little bit of maybe the ticket sales weren't going as good yeah. as they thought they were going to and seeing how the indian casinos pay a hefty price for site fees for you know for licensing fees to host the actual fights maybe they said no we need to see you know m- maybe they had limits in whatever the deal was that they made with Heyman, saying look we'll pay this this fee mm-hmm. to host the fight here but we need to have this many tickets sold by you know such and such time i, I don't know the ticket situation that is complete complete speculation both these guys these guys they belong somewhere where they can fight, where they can get regular work. Sean Porter, especially Adrian Broner is going to have had two fights. Wow. And became a world champion before Sean Porter got his next fight after whitewashing Adrian Broner. That's,
0: How fucked up is that? That's insane, man. Don't you Telling me there isn't favoritisms
1: played in this sport. So, Adrian Broner is going to make $2.53 million while Sean Porter, who got paid less to fight Adrian Broner, beat him,
0: hasn't made a dollar since. That, that is absolutely insane when you put all that together. It's like, what the? How do you put the value of an Adrian Broner that high and, and the value of a Sean Porter below him, that far below him? It makes absolutely no sense. Sean Porter is a guy that when he gets in the ring, he fights. Uh, maybe sometimes it ain't the prettiest, most skillful boxing in the world, but he brings it. And you're paying a guy like Adrian Broner who throws 20 punches a round, double the money. It makes no sense, man. No. He, and I, the the Broner train is is off the tracks. Uh, it nobody thinks that that highly of him anymore. Do they expect him to hang on to a belt and fight a bunch of no names? Sure. I'm star- I I could care less who he fights next. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. he fights anybody good, he's going to lose. We've seen it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, and it's th- to that level, because I would, I would put Sean Porter on the same level as Maidana, you know, as far as ability to win fights. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think they're at that same, you know, 5 through 10 welterweight ranking, you know, tough enough, punch hard enough to give anybody fits. Yep. Um. Yeah. Keith Thurman. His career ever since early in that fight against Jesus soto Carras, getting buzzed, he has not been the same fighter ever since then. He has finished guys. He has boxed tentatively. His attitude, his demeanor in the media, his withdrawal from the media. I'm not saying that Keith Thurman owes us anything. No. If he walked away from the sport right now, I'd say good for him. I hope he has a good life. You know what I'm saying? But what is what is it? Are you... Not that interested in it any, anymore. Do you have other interests? It's okay. Yeah, look, that this is what happened with Ricky Williams in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's necessarily pot based, but Ricky Williams' head was somewhere else. He was always interested in other things other than football. Like football was his job, right? You know what I mean? It's starting to look that way for Thurman. It really is. Yeah. So this is the fight that one. They both need it because they need to be in the ring. Yes. Obvious, right? But I think Thurman needs this more than Porter does, and I think the mismanagement of Thurman and Porter's careers so far, um, since the PBC's launch, has been despicable and has been disgraceful from a from a managerial level. I, I know the Boxing Writers Association is uh, full, uh, half filled with with morons, idiots, guys that watch, you know. The, the six biggest fights of the year and then make assumptions, cast aspersions, make decisions and hand out awards and this, that and the other. But if you go back and look at the the impact on the careers, the trajectory of the careers of a vast majority of these quote unquote PBC stars, you will find that a majority of them have went into steep decline, which then. Theoretically, based off of giving the award to the manager of the year, he would actually be the career destroyer of the year and the <laughs> anti-manager of the year. If if you if you go by facts, oh yeah, absolutely, man. Not the you know the menagerie, not the not the labyrinth, the puff of smoke, the magic trick. That is whatever the hell they're doing uh, with the propaganda and the narrative and stuff. It is it is almost uh, blasphemous what Al Heyman has done and allowed to happen with the careers of Keith Thurman and Sean Porter then.
0: Yeah. Look, we saw when the PBC's first show, Keith Thurman headlining that told you right there. At least that told me that Al thought that was his number one guy. I mean, your first show you put headline with your best guy, the, the guy you think is your, your biggest talent, the the, the guy that you're going to turn into your cash cow. And he, he Look, in in a fight that wasn't great but was good, and he looked good in the fight, Sands running the last two rounds to to get away from Guerrero. And just from that point on, it just was like they let the air out of the balloon. You could have gotten him back in the ring four or five months later. Why not? He didn't take a beating in that fight. No. None whatsoever. And really, in any of the fights, did he he take a shot and get hurt? Well, he had the... The hematoma, right in
1: the in the Guerrero fight.
0: Yeah, that was nasty. That that was nasty.
1: But I mean, other than that, you know, the, the Clavo fight was a little bit more trying than it should have been. Yeah, you know what I mean. And the fact is, where these guys are age wise in their career, their records, where if you look at their resumes, if you're if you're just planning what is the next step, <sighs> Sean Porter seems like he deserves more based off of what he's accomplished in the ring, and Keith Thurman is leaving us wanting Yeah, at the end of the day. He is. Um, so we'll, we'll wait and see. I, I'm not convinced. I'd say in my mind right now it's 50-50 that this fight gets remade.
0: Yeah, I don't see it coming off this year. I really don't. I think Porter goes another direction, and who knows who he fights and where that takes him next. He, you might be seeing Sean Porter, Danny Garcia, before you see Sean Porter, Keith Thurman.
1: But why would you fight a, a, a Porter when you can fight a Sokka?
0: <laughs> right? I mean,
1: come on. It's about I mean. the bank. It's about the bank being loaded. It's not about the glory. (laughs) That's right, man. It's not about the glory.
0: Never has been. Nope, just blowing hot air here.
1: (laughs) Watch the PBC, America. (laughs) It's the best boxing in the world. (laughs) Uh, It's like those Better Call Saul commercials. Yeah. (laughs) Need a lawyer? (laughs) Better Call Saul. Oh, man. All right, well, we'll leave you there. Um, we'll go ahead and head out of here on 106. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, man, we, that was a good one. Yeah, probably time to uh, to hit the road here. But uh, big up to our guest um, coming all the way from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, it was Steve Welling's contributor to TheBoxingRant.com. Check out his work on com. Steve Welling's big up to you for joining us today on episode 106. Pick up his book, The Irish Boxing Review, at Amazon.com. For my co host, Vince Cummings, who you can follow on Twitter at VinceCummings81, I'm your host, Kenny Keith. Follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. This has been episode 106 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. Drop by TheBoxingRant.com for all of the links to today's show and so much more audio and video subscribe to the boxing rant on youtube today we appreciate all of you tuning in and uh, we look forward to bringing you episode 107 as we deliver the post fight from a busy weekend terrence crawford frampton quig leo santa cruz and much much more but thanks again for listening to the tale of the tape boxing podcast here on the boxing rant com Muchal Gracias, everybody.